Well, I invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to explore some uh, somewhat neglected passages of Scripture for reasons that will become more clear in a moment. Uh, Turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 and then get ready to go all over the place. You might want to get the table of contents out because some of these books you probably aren't as familiar with where they're located. Um, Have you ever had a bad boss? Have you ever worked for somebody that you just thought was, didn't have a clue? I had a boss, or it was more of a supervisor, not really my boss, but when I was in college, he was younger than me when I was in college. I was married, I'd already been married for a couple years, and I just felt like he didn't know what he was doing, and it was hard to work under him. I'm sure that many of you have had that experience or experiences like it. It's not an uncommon experience. But I also think that we could, if we thought about it, we could think of some really good people that we've worked for, leaders that we would be willing to follow anywhere. And today I want to talk a little bit about what the biggest difference is between a good leader and a bad leader. The book of Nehemiah is going to help us to understand the difference between a good leader and a bad leader. But first we have to consider the book as a whole. Mark mentioned the first week of this series that Nehemiah is just half of the book. In uh, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Testament, the traditional book, Ezra Nehemiah is one book. And so Nehemiah just picks up the second part. It's not two separate books, it's one book. And when we consider Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra came to Jerusalem roughly seven years before Nehemiah, I believe. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are contemporaries, and there was a prophet in Jerusalem at that time by the name of Haggai, who was also their contemporary. And there was leaders in Jerusalem at that time. And both Ezra and Nehemiah were under leaders in Persia, where they were sent from. They, they answered to Persian kings. And so one of the things I want us to think about is that Nehemiah knew and understood that he was an instrument in the hands of God. He knew his place. He recognized his place. Both had to answer to other leaders above them. And, and ultimately, they recognized that there was ultimate leader, that they were serving God. And, and both Ezra, who functioned as priest, and, and Nehemiah, who eventually went on to be the governor of Jerusalem, neither of them functioned as a king. Neither of them was from the tribe of Judah in, line, in the line of David. But there was one mentioned in Ezra that was. And Haggai talks about him. So I want us to first look at the book of Haggai before we even look at Nehemiah. Turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Some of these verses will be on your screen, but I encourage, some of them will not, and that's intentional because I do want you to get out your Bibles and look at them. So Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, it says this, in the seventh month On the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, 
Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Glory. We've been talking about Nehemiah, who he was responsible for gathering supplies and organizing the work to rebuild the walls. Zerubbabel was in charge of the rebuilding of the temple under the, the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra. So when you read about Ezra, you read about the rebuilding of the temple. When you get to Nehemiah, you read about the rebuilding of the walls. And today we're going to see the rebuilding of the walls a little bit and who was involved in that and who wasn't. And Haggai says, who among you saw the former glory? You see, in Ezra, you read this passage of scripture after the, temp- after the temple is completed, and we see that there are many that are rejoicing at the completion of the temple. That's exciting, but there's many that had seen the former temple, and they're mourning and weeping, and it says that they couldn't decipher the noise between the mourning and the rejoicing because it was so loud and so much. And so there is a realization at the building of the rebuilding of this temple and of the city that all is not right. But God is working behind the scenes as I want us to see. Haggai continues in the middle of verse 3. How do you see it now, speaking of the temple? Is it not as, astont- as, as nothing to your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. God says, don't worry. I'm not done yet. I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory. He says, you saw the former temple and it was much better than this temple. But the future glory is better than the glory that came before. In this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, at first glance, you may not recognize some of these names. Haggai, Zerubbabel, Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and that's okay. But I want to highlight specifically Zerubbabel, as he's mentioned in Ezra. He's mentioned in Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the same Haggai we just read from, and Zechariah also has a book in the Old Testament, son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Verse 2. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. There's that name again, Zerubbabel. Look at what Haggai says at the end of chapter 2. A few days later, it says, verse 20, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, three days later from the first passage we read. 
Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declared the Lord of hosts. Now you might be thinking, I don't recognize this, shield, this Zerubbabel character. He is not familiar to me. Well, there's another passage of scripture that often gets overlooked, and that's in Matthew chapter 1. I want to read that with you. Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, where his name pops up in a very important place. Matthew chapter 1, verse 12, after the deportation to Babylon, and remember, Ezra and Nehemiah is the beginning of them coming back to Jerusalem after having been banished and taken into captivity into Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Babylon I'm going to get tongue-tied here because these are a lot of names that we're about to read, so here we go. Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. So there's that name right here, Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. But look which name comes next, or in, in this line. And Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zedek, and Zedek the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who's called the Christ. So when God says to Haggai to say to Zerubbabel that Zerubbabel is going to be made a signet ring, that he is chosen, declares the Lord of hosts, it was not because Zerubbabel was special, but it was because Zerubbabel was of the line of Judah in the house of David, the he was the one that was to sit on the throne and continue the promise that God had made to David that there would never be a man, he would never lack a man to sit on the throne. And so when Haggai's prophesying, God intends for the descendant of David, the descendant of Zerubbabel, for Jesus to come. And so Zerubbabel plays a key part not in the rebuilding of the temple, but in keeping God's promise. So we understand that God was working behind the scenes, even as the Jews were expelled from the land and they were brought back in the land. And if you read in the book of Isaiah, you see that God was working behind those scenes, working in King Cyrus, the Persian king, to allow the Israelites even to come back, Isaiah prophesies in, in, the, in, in that letter. So God's working behind the scenes. And, and when we read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, we get a glimpse not just of what was going on in Israel and in Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple and the walls and the leadership that's going on there, but we actually get a look at what God is doing behind the scenes. The place of Ezra and Nehemiah in the history of Israel is is the history of God's redemptive plan. 
And, and Nehemiah, as he's working on the walls to be rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem, he understands his place. This is the key difference between a good leader and a bad leader, namely humility. He knew his place. This is my first point this morning that I want us to understand is that a humble leader knows that it's not all about them. Nehemiah knew that it wasn't all about him. Look at chapter 3 of Nehemiah. We're not going to read all these names. It is, Nehemiah 3 is just a list of names. And it's a unique list of names because we don't read about these people before Nehemiah 3. And we don't read about these people after Nehemiah 3 for the most part. But they were included in here to commemorate the people that worked on the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And, and look at the type of people that are here. And notice who is not mentioned. Bless you. There's no mention of Nehemiah anywhere. There is a Nehemiah, but it's a different Nehemiah. But look at who is mentioned here. Uh, these passages will be on the screen. We're going to kind of fly through these. But I want to point out the type of people that are here. Then Elishiv, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests. And they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of the Hananel. This is in the north part. The, the section of Jerusalem that they were rebuilding was much smaller than it had been a few hundred years before in Hezekiah's reign. It was a little bit bigger than J Jerusalem during the time of Solomon. So it included a little portion where David ruled and then the addition of the Temple Mount. So it wasn't very big. But they started in the north and they worked their way down and around. But the first people we see that are working on it is the high priests and the brothers, the priests. So we have the priests working on this section. And next to him, the men from Jericho built. This is unique because Jericho is a few miles away from Jerusalem. So we have people from Jericho coming to work on the wall. Not even people from Jerusalem. Uh, look at verses 7 through 9. And next to them repaired Malathia and the Gibeonite and Jadon the Maranathite. The, I don't know how to pronounce that. And the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah. And so we have people from outside of Israel working. Not just outside the city of Jerusalem, but outside of Israel. Beyond the river, it says. And the governor of the region beyond, beyond the, this, the river. So they're on the other side of the Jordan River, and they come to work on it. Next to them, verse 8, is Uziel, the son of Harihiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. So we see goldsmiths working on the wall. We see perfumers working on the wall. We see people from outside Jerusalem working on the wall. We see people from outside Israel working on the wall. They happen to work on the broad wall, which... In 2024, when we go to Israel, we will get to see that. You can go see a section of the broad wall, and you have to look down quite a ways to see it because the city has been built on top over the years, and, but the broad wall is still standing, which it was initially built during the time of Hezekiah to reinforce the wall, and it's fun to see that the broad wall, which was reinforced to stay, is still there today. But that's a shameless plug for that trip, and you can come and, and see that. Where were we? Verse 8. They rebuilt the broad wall. Next to them, verse 9, Raphiah, the son of Hur, ruled 
ruler of the half district of Jerusalem repaired. So here is one of the rulers of Jerusalem working on the wall. And then also look at verse 12. Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired. So the other half ruler was there. And who worked with him? His daughters. This was a family affair. It was all hands on deck. Look at chapter, or verse 17. It says that um, after him, the Levites repaired. So the Levites, all those in the priestly line were working. Verse 32. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gates, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. So you have merchants and goldsmiths we already talked about, and the perfumers and rulers and governors and people from outside and people from inside. This was all hands on deck. Nehemiah 2, although he is not mentioned anywhere, we know that he did work on the wall in chapter 5. You can read about that, although we'll save that for the coming weeks. But it's curious he doesn't mention himself in here, which I think is a statement to his own humility. It is interesting when we look at who didn't work on the wall, and that's mentioned in chapter, five, or chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. And there's a note in my Bible that says, They did not stoop to serve their lords. This word lord is in the plural in Hebrew. And so there's debate about whether they're talking about God or the, the rulers. I actually think it's talking about the other rulers. And so here's this group of people that would not serve. And either way, the point is the same. They refused to do the work. They said, this is beneath me. But when you looked at who all is working, there is people from every station working. There is rulers and governors, and there is merchants and people from outside and people from inside. Families are working together to rebuild the walls. They were unwilling to demonstrate humility. So what was the reason this list is mentioned? Well, one of the things that the people understood that Nehemiah was pointing them towards was that they were working towards something greater. That's why everybody was working together. Nehemiah was leading them towards something greater. God had something greater in mind as he worked beyond, behind the scenes, as we read about earlier. And this is point number two. The humble leader understands it's not about them, and the humble leader leads their followers towards something greater or someone greater. This is what the Lord declared through the prophet Haggai as Jerusalem rebuilt in chapter 2, verse 9, when he says the, the latter glory will be greater than the first. And we see this fulfilled When Mary and Joseph traveled to Jerusalem and present Jesus in the temple. And you can read about that in Luke chapter 2. This is not going to be on the screen, but I want to read this to you and see how the latter glory is greater than the former glory. How this fulfills Haggai's words. Simeon, this story should be familiar to you because often it's read around Christmas time. Jesus is being presented in the temple. 
And Simeon comes, and in, in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 27, it says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This was Israel's place to be a light to the nations. And here Simeon recognizes that at the coming of Christ, at the advent of Christ, the light has shone in the world and Israel could fulfill God's promise and his command that Israel would be a light to the nations. This is what Nehemiah was seeking as the rebuilding took place. This is what Israel was doing. This is why they were rebuilding Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was the city that God had chosen to reveal himself to his people. So that the world might know him. This is what the prophet Habakkuk spoke of almost 200 years earlier, before they were deported from Jerusalem, before they were kicked out of Israel, before they went into captivity into Babylon. Habakkuk says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then shortly after, they're kicked out. And here they're back in the land rebuilding. And a good leader understands that it's not about them, but it's about what God is doing. A good leader, good leader leads towards something greater. They aren't platforming themselves or their own agenda. They're, they're pointing to something greater, someone greater. Look at what Paul says when he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul isn't saying, Follow me. He's saying, Follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And as Habakkuk said that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the as the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fill the earth as water fills the earth. How is that going to happen? How do leaders lead towards something greater in that sense? Well, it's just like what Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ has called us to follow him. The, fulfill, the fulfillment of the greater glory is found in Christ's advent. And the fulfillment of the knowledge of God's glory filling the earth is found not in the rebuilding of Jerusalem, but in the building of the church. Not the building, but of the body of Christ. Here we are in Spokane, Washington, talking about Christ. The knowledge of the glory of God has spread over the whole earth, just like the waters of the sea. Point number three is that we have been called to follow Christ and point the world to him. This is what Paul explains in chapter 2 of Philippians, a famous passage of Scripture, often called the Christ hymn, an early hymn that Christians sang, and Paul records it here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Look at what Paul says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is working behind the scenes, and and we have been called to follow Christ in making him known on the whole earth earth so that the the knowledge of the glory of God would fill the whole earth so that the glory of the Lord would be greater now than it was at the first temple because we know that we are the temple of the living God in Revelation we read about the the new Jerusalem One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. That one day that glory will fill the earth. And when the new city is here, the gates will never be shut. There will never be night. There's 12 gates. Just if you read Nehemiah, you'll see that there's 12 gates in the city. And in the new city, there'll be 12 gates and they'll never shut their doors. And there's no temple in the new city because God's presence is there. And the Lamb of God, Jesus, is at his right hand. And the presence of the glory of the Lord shines on us forevermore as this is brought into complete fulfillment. And yet God has chosen us to follow him and to make him known and to make his glory known on the whole earth. And how can we not, when we consider Christ and what he has done, and the example that he's given us as he's humbled himself. We're called to be humble and to make him known and to point to him just as Nehemiah was. And so this is the point of of Nehemiah chapter 3. Yes, we see a list of who worked on the temple, but we also recognize that God was at work behind the scenes so that he would be known throughout the whole earth and his plan is being brought into fulfillment through the church as it is being built and we are to be used towards that end for his glory amen let's pray together god we thank you and praise you for your glorious grace and your plan of redemption from eternity past and how you are bringing it into completion through your son and through your church and the spirit that you have given to indwell your followers god help us to to live in light of that truth, God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to take the offering now. Like I said, I'm doing it all today, except for singing, luckily. Uh, And this is a way we continue to worship God. 
Offering is not just to collect money. It's about giving to God. It's about recognizing who he is and and how all the silver is his and all the gold is his and all the glory is his. And so we give back cheerfully and generously, recognizing that he owns it all and that it's all about him. So let's pray for the offering and ask God to bless it. God, we thank you and praise you for how you work and and what you're doing, Lord. And and we ask that you would bless this offering as, as we give a little bit of what you have given to us to recognize that you have it all. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.